Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We find ourselves in Romans chapter 13. We are nearing the end of our study of this, this wonderful book. Um, Romans 13 is a, is a well-known chapter for, for several reasons. We'll, we'll look at two issues. One has to do with the political side. The other has to do with the simple commandment to love your neighbor. Uh, and those two alone will be worth us diving into. Um, and, and then he concludes with another issue that we, we may highlight briefly. Let's begin with uh, uh, the issue of the Christian's role in relation to governing authorities. Um, in order to do so, uh, Christians have always understood one simple line that really summarizes our view of government, and that is simply that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so wherever one follows on a political spectrum, um, and, and whatever one thinks about is the right way to run the state and whatnot, um, the Christian believes that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Right, so, so that alone uh, avoids, um, avoids anarchy, avoids worshiping of the state, avoids a lot of things. But it also means that because Jesus is Lord, we listen to his command and his example. So if Jesus tells us, for example, to pay taxes to Caesar, we pay taxes to Caesar. But we at the same time, because Jesus is Lord, will not give to Caesar what isn't his. And that is image bearers. Right? We, we, we don't sacrifice that. We don't, we don't worship the, the state. And that phrase, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, led to the death of countless Christians over the years. Uh, because the state seeks to be divine. Every state and every nation has ever lived wants to be divine. It wants to control everything. Um, and, and this is what led the Romans to heavily persecute the Christians. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, not just the Romans, but, but nations around the country uh, or around the world right now are having this, this very issue. I recommend to you uh, Open Doors Ministry, which tracks the uh, persecution of Christians around the world. Uh, we've had some speakers come to the church to, to share that with us. Well, let's see what, what Paul has to say. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That, that, that's his thesis. Be subject, uh, submit to governing authorities. Now, now that it should be sufficient in and of itself uh, because Jesus is Lord, not, not Caesar. So submission there doesn't mean um, we, we, we surrender our very soul to the state. At the same time, it does mean obey laws that don't contradict the, the will the will and the word of God. He goes on, from there, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. They recall Jesus, who is standing before Pilate, um, and Pilate says, do you not realize I have the power to have you killed or have you set free? And Jesus' response is, had you not been given this authority by my Father, you wouldn't be standing here in front of me right now. So in the, and so in the instant, Jesus though is the one who, whose hands are bound uh, and is criminal, declares himself king even over Pilate. And so, so too, we, we understand that, that there is no authority anywhere in the world, whether it be government authorities, parental authority, or, or, or anything else. We believe that ultimate authority comes from God, which means not only are we subject to God and the authorities he put in our lives, but People in, 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 in positions of authority are subject to God. Both are true and both are vital for us to understand issues like governance, issues like the role of the state in the lives of the individual and, and a family. Uh, what does it mean to serve in the state? 
um, and, 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 and stuff like that, is that we're all under the authority of God because Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. But at the same time, because the state has been instituted by God, as has the church, as has the family, then we must submit ourselves under those institutions. Uh, verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, which makes sense, right? So if God says, this person has been, has been placed here for your good, to, to refuse to submit is to therefore refuse to submit to God. Right, so so uh, way way we raise our kids is is let's say the kids are going to go out um, and uh, spend the day with with my beautiful bride, right? And I may say to them, guys, uh, daddy can't go with you, um, but disobedience to my wife or to this babysitter is direct disobedience to me. Now you may not see it that way, but I am giving this person authority to say this this babysitter, this family member, whatever, over you. Therefore. To disobey them is to disobey me. So too, God has instituted the state among other authorities in our lives. Thus, to disobey them is to disobey God. Verse 3, um, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. The very basic premise is that laws are there to allow society to function. You break the laws and, and you're punished. So Paul isn't saying every law that ever passed by government is good, because it ain't. But he is saying that as a general rule, breaking the laws is not the same. When you break a law, you're, you're failing to love your neighbor, which is the subject that he discussed in, starting in verse 8. So if you want to love your neighbor, that may mean you need to lay off the gas a little bit. If you want to love your neighbor, then here are some, some laws that have been instituted for the sake of the community. Right? So, so you don't need to fear the state as a general rule if you obey the laws. In fact, verse, at the end of there, verse 3 is a good summary of what he's, what he's trying to say. Do what is good. That, that's really what he's saying in this practical section starting in chapter 12 and ends in 16. Do what is good and right. Verse 4, for he is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now that phrase, sword, is, is, is a uh, subject of, of a lot of discussion. I believe it is a clear reference to um, capital punishment. Um, any other interpretation really doesn't make sense, frankly. But there is a, a reference to the sword being used as a form of capital punishment, in that in the book of Acts, one of the apostles is executed by the sword. It doesn't say that he was beheaded or stabbed. It means that, that what the text says is that Herod used the sword on him, uh, which is to say he used uh, capital punishment. Now, what you think about capital punishment is not my concern now. It's not even Paul's point here. Now, we can discuss the ethics of capital punishment and, and whether or not uh, that should be legal. Uh, that's, a, that's a separate issue. What Paul is saying here is that the state has the authority given by God to execute justice on wrongdoers, which is where Americans get the idea in, the, in, in our judicial system that, that you can't take vengeance in your own hands. In fact, police don't don't charge people with stuff, right? They, they arrest, but they're not the ones that stand before the judge and say, this person's guilty, let me tell you what, what happened. Rather, 
if, if you are arrested and you're on trial, it'll be you versus the people of, in my case, Frankfurt. Right? Why? Because it is the people bringing the, the charge. That's why we have prosecutors and everything else. Right? So, so, so we understand, coming from Judeo-Christian worldview uh, and, and biblical understanding, that the state brings charges, not individuals, not, not employees of the state, but is the state itself bringing these charges. That's why we have all these checks and balances. Uh, it's not a perfect system at all, but, but that is, is the system that I think has some biblical uh, reference uh, there. Uh, verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath but also for the sake of conscience. Remember that from chapter 2. For because of this you also pay taxes. Yuck. We also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God. This means that, that in order for these things to function taxes is a reality. I, I, I can be as libertarian as they come when it comes to issues of, of government but paying taxes is a civic duty even for the believer. In fact, he adds to that. Verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So, so, so if I could summarize that, that, that verse 7 there, he is concerned with not only the external acts of paying taxes, but also the internal heart that we show respect and honor to government officials. And state itself. Which means, Paul will say elsewhere, pray for your elected officials. Pray for your government. Pray for your city. Pray for your country. Instead of spending all your time hating the country that God has placed you in, pray for it. Serve. Do good for the sake of your neighbor for the sake of your government, for the sake of your country. Now, now, in saying that, let us avoid two extremes. And I think what Paul says here prevents us from, from erring on either one of these extremes. And frankly, this is where our, 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 our country is heading. One extreme while the other is going to the other extreme. No wonder we hate each other so much. And it is hate you are seeing in, in our country. The one extreme is a type of anarchy that says that the system is evil, the system must crash, government must, must collapse, we've got to replace it, we've got to do this. And so you're going to rewrite the history books, you're going to emphasize clear and right evils of our past while overshadowing some of the good. And, and you say, well, because there was evil, it is therefore evil, without any sort of nuance of depravity and human frailty and the fall and the limitations of government. And so in the anarchist system, that, that, that there is a utopian sense that if this can come crashing down, then the people can rise and then we can have some sort of utopia. But the problem with that system is it can only destroy, it can't build. On the other extreme, is, is the idea that, that, that the only problem is the world is my God's not in power. So I'm going to worship the, the, the country. I'm going to sing all the songs. I'm going to make a big deal about it. I'm going to wave the flag because, because to be a Christian is to be a good American. To be a good American is to be a good Christian. And to blur those lines is very, very dangerous. And so what you have, on, really on both ends, is an idolatry of the states. 
both of these are extremely dangerous. And so and we see that happening literally in the streets right now. Those who want to bring the system down, who thinks everything is, is every nasty term that we use in, in public discourse today. Therefore, we must tear down the other end. It is, this, it is to say, we must fight back. We've got to elect our guys, and, and, and they don't, they, they, they're not going to stop, and they're going to why? Because America, America, right? There's these two extremes. And where's the Christian here? It is to say that there's no salvation in either one of these. My role is to pray for my country. It's to pray for my neighbor. It's to pray for my president and governor and legislative officials. It's to pray and to serve my neighbor and to love others with the love of Jesus. So I will pay my taxes, and it needs to be reformed. I will pay revenue, and it needs to be reformed. I will show honor to a, to, to, to a nation that needs to be reformed. I will show respect to a nation that needs to be reformed. But I will not worship it, nor will I seek to destroy it. Because God is the ultimate avenger, not me. And it is an accident then that goes to talk about loving your neighbor. So if you are a citizen of a country, your primary role is to love your neighbor. If you're an elected official of your country, or state, or city, or whatever. Your job is to still love your neighbor. How that manifests itself may be unique to the individual, but it's still the same command. To love your neighbor. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, he's clearly connecting the beginning of verse 8, owe, uh, owe no, no, no one anything, to what he said there in verse 6 and 7 about paying taxes. But it's bigger than that, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the one thing you should owe someone to see that you are in debt to still pay back is love. Love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So you want, so, so, so he's, remember, he's, he's still writing those Jews, right? They're still, they're still in the audience. And he says, look, here, here's the big picture, guys. You want to be a good, faithful Jew who loves Jesus? Here it is. Here's a summary of the law. Love. Love. And it's striking, isn't it, how many of our songs are about love. And you turn on the TV and we realize that we like it. There's a story I like to tell as a sermon illustration. I'll tell it now. A, a missionary went overseas and, and uh, into a third world country, small village. And um, he, he noticed quickly that all of their songs were about food. They just sang about food constantly. So the missionary asked the uh, tribal chief, why is it that you all sing so much about food? And he says the answer is because, because there's so little of it. It's so scarce. And then the chief asked the missionary from America, is that why so many of your songs are about love? I would add that you will never understand love apart from understanding the gospel of Jesus. Because there, love is demonstrated, love is given, in order for love to be received. Until you come to Christ and receive his love, you will never be free to give love. Remember that love is not something that is conditional. I will give you love if you give me love in return. And the second you don't return that love, then I stop giving love. Because love is defined by the gospel and not my, by my desires or needs or wants or whatever, I am free to give love out of the abundance of the love that Christ has given me at the cross. So owe no one anything except to love and keep loving. Fulfill the law 
in loving your neighbor. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, shall not uh, murder, shall not steal, shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in, in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul is obviously quoting from the Ten Commandments, don't kill, steal, lie, all that sort of stuff. But I think we've talked about this before, that the Ten Commandments are really broken down into two sections. The first four have to do with worship, and the other part have to do with, with uh, loving your neighbor. Um, and so really we can say love God, love your neighbor. So don't break the Sabbath, worship only God, stuff like that. And then it's the kill, steal, lie, that sort of stuff. And so Paul chooses the, 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 the love your neighbor part on purpose, but then he says, look, this is summarizing all of them. If you love your neighbor, not to blow your mind, you're not going to kill them. If you love your neighbor, you're, you're not going to cheat on them. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to rob them. And this is why this rule applies not just to citizens. It applies to government officials as well. Love your neighbor. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We lack love. We should be deeply concerned that given the the turmoil of this entire year. What a mess 2020 has been. I hope historians just skip over it, thinking that was a blip on the radar. Um, but right now, what we have, because we lack love, we have politicians using crisis for power. We have, we have businesses using crisis for profit. And um, we have a media system that is using crisis for promotion. And then we have citizens who are using this crisis for their own ends. Why? Because we don't have love. How much easier would it be to live this world if we all understood love? How much smaller could our government be if we all understood love? How much better would your life be if we understood love? Here's the thing. If you would love you won't need government to pass and enforce laws because love is the fulfillment of, of it. I think we've talked about this on devotion before. We live in an age that because we lack self-control and love, we must rely on laws. There's no freedom in that sort of system. Without faith, there can be no freedom. Look at how this chapter ends, in case I'm not in enough trouble already. He says there at the end of verse 11, Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Just, just, just to remind you that the New Testament speaks of salvation, past, present, and future. We, we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. And Paul says, here's the, here's the great hope. We live in a broken world, in a broken system, made up of broken people. The good news is, every minute that passes by, we are that much closer to being with Jesus forever. It doesn't mean that we just bypass the world we live in. After all, he just, all that he said about love is, is kind of part of it. It is to say, don't lose hope because our hope isn't in this world. And if you think you'll find hope in the governor's press conference, if you think you'll find hope in a presidential uh, photo op, if you think you'll find hope in riots in the street, if you think you'll find hope in the stock market, if you think you'll find hope in the uh, uh, unemployment rate dropping, if you think you'll find hope in any of that sort of stuff, you're a fool. Salvation if you have it already, it is nearer now than it was yesterday. Let us cling to that hope. In, in the meantime, verse 13, 
Let us walk properly, as in the daytime. Let it be. And may we practice love. See you guys here tomorrow.